Welcome to another Do Loss Deliberation. I'm Levi Bimba, and today we are going to talk about love and believing the best. So I was reading an article that I thought was very convicting and very apropos for the times that we're living in with the division and the unforgiveness and the anger that we see in, in the culture. And even within the church, we, we're susceptible to that as well, because we're still sinners, even though we've been justified, we've been sanctified as Christians. We still struggle with the flesh, this body of uh, this body of death that Paul talked about in Romans 7. But uh, I was reading an article on Cripplegate, thecripplegate.com, and it's a group of uh, four or five pastors who who uh, write a blog about theology and, and living it out in the Christian life. And one of the pastors named Eric Davis wrote a very... Um, a uh, very convicting article talking about one of his own personal experiences with with failing to love and believe the best uh, and he wrote this over 5 years ago now so but it's still a, I think a wonderful article and I'll link it in the in the show notes but so the title of the article is love and believing the best and I think it's one of those things that you overlook in 1 Corinthians 13 which is what he bases a lot of his his re- reasonings on uh, for, I'll just read the verses that are, are that are centered here. First uh, Corinthians thirteen verses four through eight. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. So that's what the Bible describes as love or charity, as as the King James Version reads. So here's how his article starts out, and I'll just talk about it. And it's a fairly short article, but I'll go ahead and, and read and just make a few comments along the way. So he writes, Eric Davis he writes, it was a few months after surgery and the bill started arriving. 30000 for this, 40 for that. My medical bills were racking up. Thankfully, the co-op to which I belong and my godly wife had a handle on things and were coming through in the clutch. But there was one reimbursement that was absent and it was a big one. A check from a co-op member in the sum of about $20,000 was supposed to come in to pay the hospital, but it was late. One month, two, then two. I lost my cool on more than one occasion. Where is that check? And who is this person keeping us hanging like that? What is their problem? Don't they know that we have six-figure bills here? Then my wife got the letter. Along with the check was an apology from the individual. I am so sorry that this is late. I have cancer and am going through rounds of chemotherapy right now. And because of that, have been experiencing memory loss. I wanted to crawl into a cave and never return. The Holy Spirit necessarily and lovingly crushed me with conviction. The judgmental spirit, the speed with which I assumed the worst, it was sinful and it's something I have struggled with far too often. I think it's something that we struggle with all the time. I mean, how many times in traffic when somebody cuts you off or you see somebody speeding down the highway, what is wrong with them? Don't they know there's people, other people on this road or how dare they cut me off? Don't they know I'm so much more important than they are? And we never stop to think maybe, you know, their wife is in delivery and they're trying to rush to the hospital or maybe their child is sick or maybe, you know, there's some crisis going on in their life that we are not privy to. But we are just centered on the fact that they offended us. And how dare they? Because we are just so important. 
So he says, he quotes 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Eric Davis. He says, love believes all things. And then he says, love believes the best about one another. Believing the best does not mean believes everything that we hear to be fact, refuses to believe that someone committed a wrong, willful gullibility or denial of anything negative. That is not loving, but lying. Solomon cautions us here. The naive believes everything, but the sensible considers his steps. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. So there is there is something to be said of loving, and and when it says love believes the best about one another, it does not mean love believes everything that somebody tells you. So if somebody's because you know people lie, we're, we're liars by nature. You know the Bible talks about how you, the Bible talks about how even from the womb we come out lying and and, and speak lies. So it's prudent for us to judge righteous judgment, as Jesus says. It's prudent for us to check things out and to make sure that what is being told to us is true. Uh, so we don't just become naive and just believe everything that somebody tells us and then and act like we're, we're doing the loving thing. And then on the flip side of that, people act like it's unloving to question and to try to get clarification on, on what somebody's doing or what, what's taking place. Eric Davis continues, he says, to believe all things needs to be understood in the context of 1 Corinthians. The church struggled with self-exalting attitudes, a self-preferring demeanor, pride, and consequently a lack of love for each other. There was suspicion, cynicism, and judgmentalism, and it was unacceptable for people claiming the great name of Jesus Christ. Believing the best about one another is an essential form of loving one another, and I think that's important. And it's easy to forget that if we really love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, or if we love our enemies or our neighbors or people even on TV that we don't know and that we don't that, that do things that are, that we wouldn't do, um, we still have to show love by believing the best about them. That doesn't mean we excuse their sin or make excuses for the things that they are doing that are wrong. But we try to give them the benefit of the doubt, as the saying goes. We try to assume good motives in the person instead of just automatically attributing bad motives. Now, obviously, that doesn't work out if you know somebody personally who's married and then you see them fooling, fooling around with somebody else. You don't just say, hmm, well, you know, in order for me to be loving, I got to believe the best about them. And, you know, maybe they're having marriage struggles and, you know, and they're not getting what they would like at home and or whatever the case may be. We don't make excuses for fornication or adultery. Obviously, we confront them. And that's another loving thing that uh, Eric Davis will talk about here. So he continues. He says one way that believing the best could be defined is this erring on the side of believing a favorable reality of another's actions and attitudes as opposed to suspicion or cynicism until clear evidence shows otherwise. Love errs on the side of believing a favorable reality. We are to believe the best for at least two reasons. First, we are not omniscient like God. And you would think, duh, that's obvious. But how many times do we forget that ourselves when we automatically pass judgment on somebody or some event that took, that took place? And we automatically attribute bad motives to the people who are involved when we don't even have all the evidence and we haven't even read or listened to the evidence that is being presented. He's, he continues, we do not know everything about others, motivations, circumstances, hurts, trials and complicating life situations. If we were not present, we do not know exactly what happened or what was said. Second, we believe the best because they're because we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. The combination of the two looks like believing the best. So he says believing the best is a combination of one. We're not omniscient like God. And two, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And how many times do we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt when we go when we do something wrong? We, I mean, we are our best lawyer. You, If you catch 
you know, if somebody catches you doing something wrong or somebody catches me doing something wrong, I will fight tooth and nail to protect my righteousness. <laughs> and I think that's the that's par for the course for every single human being. Often something is more some do it to a greater degree than others. Um, uh, Eric continues here, he says, but too often we are bent on suspicion, cynicism and judgmentalism. I'm sure they did that because I bet they said that because insert unfavorable conclusion. Really? Are we omniscient? Do we have infallible insight into another's motivations? It's best to remain cautious of making a conclusion about someone until we know the information. And that's that's so important. We just don't know what's going on all the time. We're And it's again, like I said earlier, it's easy. It's a it's an obvious statement, but it's it's functionally it's functionally not obvious when it's played out in real life. We don't know all that goes on in somebody's head and all what's going on, even within traffic or within somebody's life, or you, you talk to somebody and they don't really uh, um, acknowledge you the way you think you should be acknowledged. And you automatically attribute that to some kind of hatred or some kind of uh, uh, dislike for you when maybe they didn't hear you, or maybe they're going through a rough time themselves. Now, obviously that's, that doesn't excuse them. Maybe, you know, answering you in a curse way or in a coarse way or, or cussing you out or something like that. But it we try we should try to look at that situation as maybe, you know, they just had a bad day. Maybe there's something going on that I'm not privy to because shockingly, we don't know. We don't know everything. <laughs> um, so he continues, he says, we are to beware of thinking that we know everything going on with others, motivations, thoughts, situations, actions, and complicating struggles. When we fail to believe the best so as to come to an uninformed, incorrect, and condemning conclusion, we hate the person and commit the sin of judging. Matthew 7 and 1, judge not that you be not judged. So obviously we need to, um, and it's so easy to slip into this thinking because especially when we're so used to the, the cable news and people offering their own opinions and, and you have to be quick and you can't have gaps in your in your language. You just have to go for it, so to speak. We can be quick to forget that we need to wait on information. Sometimes it's best not to say anything because you just you just don't know all that has taken place and you don't know all that's all that's going on in somebody else's life. And then we and further than that, it, be, it becomes a sin against God once we just make uh, hasty conclusions especially the conclusions that are condemnatory of the people that are involved. So he says, additionally, failing to believe the best is often a worship problem. Now, this is really this is really where really where it hits. It hits hard, a form of idolatry. We worship our own wisdom and opinions with the result that we think that we have all that we have things all figured out. Subsequently, we may make presumptuous judgmental conclusions and believe the worst. We hold an inflated view of our own discernment, our intellect, and our ability to figure things out such that we quickly adjudicate matters while feeling proud of ourselves for doing so. Perhaps at the root of it all is idolatry. We have made an idol out of our own thinking abilities. And so that's that's one of those statements where, you know, it's like it, it really hits home because how many of us think that we just know so much we know and especially, I think it's it's a temptation for people who, uh, or I, I would say maybe for every Christian, because every Christian I think loves the Bible and respects the Bible. When we have the truth of God, that it can, it's very easy to fall into the sin of 
of, 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 of judgmentalism because we just know everything. We, we, we have all the right answers. We, we know everything that is to be said about ultimate truths and we have it systematically synthesized in our minds and we have the verses memorized and the, and the context and the, and the doctrine down. So when we see something going off, we automatically jump at the chance to correct what is, what is wrong with our theological knowledge. And it's a danger because it becomes idolatrous because, again, even though we have this revelation from God that is so valuable and so informative and so helpful in how we operate in the world, we tend to forget that we don't know everything going on with somebody else's life. So we can't just be quick to judge somebody for what they do. And Paul even talks about this where he says, uh, in a certain context, don't judge anything for the, before the time because things will be revealed as they come out. Uh, later on. And sometimes things don't even come out until judgment day. So sometimes we may think we have it all figured out. And then when we get to judgment day, we'll realize, wow, we had it completely wrong. So uh, Eric Davis continues here. He says, well, some will say I'm just a good judge of character. And there again, <laughs> there's the, 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 the defense of of my self-righteousness, my defense of my, my biblical knowledge, my mature, my mature thinking. I just know I just know because I have that gift of judging people rightly all the time. <laughs> you are a judge, no doubt, but that's about it. So he continues believing the worst spiral. So this is how it goes. It gets worse and worse. So he says we could cite many ways in which we sin here. I'm sure they haven't contacted me because or I bet they didn't like my Facebook status because no, and we all have probably fallen into that one. Those of us who are on social media. I bet I didn't get chosen for that ministry position, job, task, because maybe the reason we didn't get chosen for something is because, listen to this, we are not as great as we thought we were. Believing the best about others may also mean repenting of believing so favorably of ourselves. And it's just like, wow, that hits home big time because we forget that uh, as we're judging people and thinking we have all the right answers, we're forgetting that we are not great ourselves. We are evil by nature. We have a wretched heart. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the most deceitful thing in the world is our, is our own heart. And how? And so how hard is it to believe that our hearts are deceiving us into thinking that we are better than we are? Maybe we didn't get the job. We didn't get that ministry position. Maybe people aren't talking to us because we're not that great to be around. Or maybe because or we didn't get the job because we're not talented enough for the job, or we didn't get that ministry position because you're just not qualified in the eyes of the elders. And that's something you need to work on in your, in your own life. So there's a lot of things that we take for granted because it's ourselves. And we think that we just deserve all these good things. When in reality, again, the only thing we deserve in life is death because the wages of sin is death. That's it. That's all we can earn. That's all we deserve ultimately from God is death. So anything else is a grace from God, but it's so easy to forget that. And he continues, he said, and will even fail to believe the best in positive matters. I'm sure that they complimented and encouraged me or them because so it's like saying somebody gives you a compliment. Oh, you look nice today or oh, you uh, I liked your your uh, uh, your car or, you know, whatever they're saying that's positive about you. You're, you interpret that as, oh, they're just saying that because. Oh, they think I'm poor. Or they're saying that because they think I'm I'm not uh, a strong-minded person, or they, they're just saying that because you know they're just doing what they think is right, and they don't really care about me personally. So we we even get caught up in in cutting down somebody, even when they're trying to do something good or positive towards us. 
So he continues, he says, or maybe it's been three consecutive weeks since anyone has initiated conversation with you at church. You start thinking, what's the problem? No one here cares about me. Forget this. Despite the command for us to reach out to each other, we are to believe the best. Maybe all the moms and dads that day were trying to keep their kids from burying their greasy hands in the donut table again. Maybe the church members all had a difficult week or or are in some trial. Maybe everyone is running around serving and ministering or reaching out to other visitors like you should be doing and like I should be doing instead of centering everything about us. Maybe they are sinners like you. Maybe God sovereignly had no one talk to us so that we would see and confess our self-focused attitude. And that's another thing that we can forget. God is sovereign over all things. And sometimes he orchestrates things that cause us to, <laughs> to realize that we are not great people, that we need to stop focusing in on ourselves and focus on others. Eric Davis continues, he says, and even if no one at our church cared for us, it's not the end of the world. We're not commanded to joyfully plug into a church because of how much people like us, but because Christ died for us, God commands us to, and we are to reach out to others. You see how it's so easy to get so focused when we should be Christ focused. We need to be, he, he says that we don't join a church because people are going to like us and care for us and love us. We join a church and submit ourselves to the elders because Christ died for us and he commands it. He commands us to do so. It's not something that oh, I'm not going to that church because they don't really see things the way I do about racism or or about uh, yeah, economics or, or politics. We go to a church that is sound, that preaches the gospel, that has qualified men who are leading the church uh, to grow and to become more like Christ, not because of how what not because of what they believe about secondary or tertiary issues or necessarily how much they treat us or how well they treat us. He says, this is not to say that we should stay in an unsound church, but that we are to believe the best. Other situations often go down like this. One side incurs hurt from another sin. Instead of asking questions, getting the full story and fighting to give others as much grace as we give ourselves, we close off, we close off, dig in our heels and make myopic conclusions. So somebody in the parking lot, uh, uh, he, he, somebody, I don't know, somebody, there's an argument that takes place and it's with somebody that you're kind of friendly with and you know them better than the person that they're arguing with. So instead of trying to get the full story and get the facts of what caused the argument or what are they even arguing about, you automatically take the person that you're friendly, that you're friendly with side and you automatically start condemning the other person that they got in an argument with. Now you may not do this vocally, but in your mind, you're already doing this. And that's the and the warning should you, the warning should go off there. If you're if, if in your mind you're already doing this, then like the Bible says, God looks at the heart. We have to be careful to stop in our thinking and say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me figure out as much as I love this person and care for them. And I know them more than this other person. Let me try to get down to the facts, because, again, we don't know everything. We're not omniscient. We need data and evidence and, and we need to ask questions. And that's how we learn and understand what's going on. He said the other uh, he continues, the other side reacts similarly. Views are formed. Self-righteousness fuels it. Bitterness binds its way throughout hearts and minds. We've created division and Christ's name is shamed. And that's the ultimate tragedy where as believers, Jesus said he prayed that we would all be one, even as him and his father are one. And we are bickering and fighting over an issue that we didn't even take the time to find out who said what, what took place, you know, what led up to this. We're, we're, we're just quick to judge and cause division and just automatically criticize one another when we should be quick to love 
as the Bible says, swift to hear, slow to speak. But we're, we're, we flip that and say we're swift to swift to speak and slow to hear. And we all need to remember that we we are members one of another. We need one another to grow and, and to especially within the world as the days get darker and darker. We need one another in the body of Christ to 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 hold one another up and to encourage one another. And we need to be unified. And part of that unif- unification is to believe the best about one another. He continues, but the mature Christian takes a different route. First, they marinate in the glory of God and the cross of Christ such that when sinned against, they fight to avoid taking into account a wrong suffered. So he says mature Christians, when something goes awry in their life and somebody attacks them, they don't want to uh, automatically start you know, getting angry and start uh, accusing the person of wrongdoing. Um, and there was a message that uh, John MacArthur preached that I listened to, and um, I can't remember what the topic was. I just remember a part of a quote, I, and I, I I wished I wrote it down, but I didn't. But he says, when it comes to offense, he says, it's an undeserved affection for yourself that causes you to be angry when people sin against you. <laughs> an undeserved affection for yourself. We don't deserve love. We don't deserve even love from ourselves. We're sinners. We're filthy. We're, we're full of anger and, and lust and lust and covetousness and idolatry, as we're reading about here. So when people offend us, we think that we deserve better than what we're being treated by. When again, all we deserve is death and hell and judgment from God. That's all we deserve. So any other good treatment from people is as a plus is, is a grace from God. And even I think Charles Spurgeon had a quote where he said um, that when when people criticize you, just take comfort in the fact that you are far worse <laughs> than what that person is saying about you. Again, we we're, I know we live in a culture where we love self-esteem. We love we talk about self-love all the time and, and self-gratification and and I need to focus on me. The Bible is radically different. You don't need to be focused on. You already love yourself too much. That's the problem. And you need to you need to stop esteeming yourself, esteeming yourself and start esteeming others more than yourself. Um, he continues, it says they talking about the mature Christian, they push pause on speculation. They restrain their thoughts. They pray for strength and the individual. Then they ask the other person questions. Okay, I think I saw this or that. Could you help me understand what was going on? So instead of accusatory questions like, why did you do that to me? How dare you do that to me? Don't you know who I am? All this kind of stuff. The the mature Christian who knows that they are a sinner who deserve nothing but hell. But in order to preserve unity, they're going to pray. They're going to seek uh, God's counsel. And they're going to seek uh, strength from the Holy Spirit to not be angry at this person. And then they're going to confront the person in love and just ask them, Hey, you know, I heard you say this about me or I saw you doing this and, you know, I'm, I'm infallible. I don't I don't know everything. So I'm just trying to get some clarification. Did you really say that or did, did I see you doing that or, you know, did I get things messed up? And I think that's important. I remember reading a story. Um, there was a woman, I think it was back in the early 2000s. She had gotten she had gotten raped. And uh, in the article, she wrote that. Since this is happening, she was saying like during while the while the guy was was raping her, she was thinking in her mind, okay, since I can't get out of this, the best thing I can do right now is just study this guy's face and make sure that when I get to the police, if I survive this, I can describe perfectly 
to the police who the guy was that did this to me. Um, to make a long story short, she gave the sketch to the police officer. To the police officers, they arrested they arrested the wrong guy. So that she they brought up they brought out a line they brought, they brought a lineup of people. She pointed. She's like, that's that's the guy. Definitely for sure. That's the guy that raped me. So they arrested him. They convicted him. Come to find out when DNA DNA became more and more advanced, the guy was the wrong guy. After all that she did, she I mean, um, yeah, she there was I'm sure there's a short distance between her and the guy's face and all that studying that she did. She still got it wrong and to put an innocent man in prison. And kind of the kind of cool ending to that story is that now they're both friends today. As far as I know, last I read there, they were, you know, they were both friends. The guy forgave her. He didn't have any ill will towards her. And uh, it was really a really happy ending. So all that to say is that we don't know all the time what's going on, even if we think we, we see clearly what's happening and we, and we just know for sure that our opinion is right. Sometimes we can still be vastly wrong. Uh, Eric Davis continues, he says, sometimes we will believe the worst by avoiding coming alongside someone to show them their sin by assuming that they will not be receptive. I'm sure they will not listen to me. Maybe, but that does not abrogate our biblical responsibility to believe the best. How will we know until we try? And the same goes when another is confronting us. We have the opportunity to believe the best about their attitude and action. We ought to preach to ourselves. They are probably confronting me because they love me. They want to obey God and help me experience the joy of obedience. And this all comes from having our minds renewed and not being so quick to be to to condemn somebody for the actions that they're taking. But we have to believe the best about one another if we, if we want to see one another grow. And if we ourselves want to grow in love and honor Christ more more so in that way. And he finishes up here. He says, I wonder how our relationships might change if we gave each other as much grace, leniency, and benefit of the doubt as we do ourselves. When it comes to others, we are proficient prosecutors, even and especially when we do not have all the data. When it comes to ourselves, we are pervasive permitters, believing the best about ourselves, even and even if it is unwarranted. But we are to consider Consider, consider others as more important than ourselves and outdo one another in showing honor. And he mentions Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5, where it says, Do nothing from selfish, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. And in Romans 12, 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. That's in uh, Romans 12, 10. And those are both in the ESV versions. So the Bible tells us to not, to not be so focused on ourselves, to esteem others better than ourselves, to look out for others more than ourselves. It's all about other focus more than self-focused. Now, of course, there are certain things that we need to be focused on in our life as examining ourselves and making sure we're in the faith, making sure we are we are loving and believing the best about one another. But most of the time, I think our thinking should be to others and, and to honoring Christ through that, through that love for others. Among other things, Eric says, that will look like believing the best. This is the art and skill of relationships, and it is life changing. And it really is. If you think about if you're I think part of anger or maybe the major part of anger 
and discontent is people that think they deserve better than what they're getting. And I, I, and I think that's why you get angry. I think that's why I get angry. If my wife does something or a family member does something or um, a, a church member does something that I don't think they should do and it makes me angry. Again, my, <laughs> the reason why I'm getting angry is because I, I'm thinking my thoughts, my uh, desires, my person should be treated better than what this person is doing to me right now. And uh, and I think that's part of the problem of, of even ungratefulness and discontent. I, that story I told earlier in one of my earlier podcasts about my coming home one night from church with my mom and she gave me rice to eat. And I complained about why do I why do we always have to eat rice? That's coming from a heart of somebody who thinks they deserve anything they want to eat at any time of the day, by at any moment. When all in reality, from, for my whole life, for the whole 29 years of my life, the only thing I deserved was death and hell and punishment. That's it. I didn't deserve anything else apart from the grace. And not, not even the grace of God. All I deserved was death. And only by his grace did I do I still live today and do others who who are still living live today. And he, he concludes, if you struggle like me to believe the best, the solution goes deeper than telling yourself positive things about people. At the root of not believing the best is an inflated view of self. It's self-worship that looks down from its throne on others. It's a self-worship problem. Thus, the answer is in the cross of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for people like you and me who commit the sin of idolatry, of hating others, of failing to worship him. Thankfully, he eagerly forgives and empowers us to love each other by believing the best. Then he empowers us by the spirit to put on righteousness so that we may obey in these areas. For example, memorizing verses like these proves helpful Proves helpful here. Before I read these couple of verses from Proverbs, uh, I want to reiterate what he said. It is a self-worship problem. It's all about thinking that we are more important than others, that we deserve better treatment and we deserve to have our thoughts and ideas uh, recapitulated in the minds of others. And, and we think that the way we think is the way to think. But again, we don't have all the information. We are not omniscient. And um, uh, Pastor our Pastor Doug from our from Grace Community Church, he had a quote kind of speaking about these issues in, in Romans. And he talked about how the, the strong, so strong, mature Christians need to grow in their love while weak, weak Christians need to grow in their knowledge. And like I said earlier, like when you have a lot of theological knowledge and you're growing in the faith and you have a lot of sound doctrine in your, in your mind, you can tend to err when it comes to loving and believing the best about the weaker brother who is there and who, and at one point you were a weaker brother and somebody else came alongside of you and it helped you grow and mature in the faith and was patient with you. And so how much more should we do so ourselves, those of us who are are um, who may be more mature than the next person? We should show love and show patience, the same patience that, that God ultimately showed us. So he says these verses will help uh, when it comes to situations of believing the best. Proverbs 18, 13 says he who gives an answer before he hears it is folly and shame to him. Now, how many of us have broken that commandment and, and looked like a fool where we assume somebody did something wrong and didn't even hear the other side first? Come to find out when we, when we hear the information, oops, you were flat, you were flatly wrong. And now you look like a fool. And then the other verse is Proverbs eighteen seventeen: The first to plead his case seems right 
until another comes and examines him. So that's why uh, in the court they have cross-examination. They have the prosecutor and they have the defense attorney. Because when the prosecutor lays out their case, the jury's probably thinking, uh, I'd say probably most juries are thinking at that point, wow, there's no way this guy is innocent. Clearly, all the evidence is there. This guy did it. Then when you hear the defense's case, you're thinking, whoa, now I, I heard another slide. And now it's not so clear anymore. And that's why it's important to get both sides of the story before we pass a judgment. So he ends by saying, as we fight to believe the best about one another in our relationships, we will just be more pleasant people to be around. Further, we will please God by walking in love and thereby experience the joy of the spirit's unity, unity with each other. And this is why it's so important. Ultimately, that's why it's important to believe the best about one another, because it breeds more unity. It breeds more love and it breeds just a more pleasant experience to be around certain people that are not that are not always griping about issues and complaining about how this person treated them and what they did and what they did to them. It's really it's more enjoyable to, to be around somebody who is thankful for everything, who's grateful for everything. I think John MacArthur made the point. He's like, have you ever tried to pick a fight with somebody who's thankful for everything? Everything that happens to them, they're thankful for. Even the suffering, even the pain, even the 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 lesser the less joyous times of life, they're still thankful in them. So it's hard to get this person riled up <laughs> because they're just they realize that they're a sinner and that they that they deserve death and nothing more from God. So. I just want to encourage us with this article and and help us to all love and believe the best about one another. So thank you for listening to this episode. Please like, subscribe on YouTube or follow me on Twitter or uh, watch on on Facebook and uh, leave a review even if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or listening on Spotify. Uh, uh, If you like what you're hearing, uh, continue to show that you do by offering a review so thank you for listening today and i will see you on the next episode of new loss